You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always go to the website, nowheretorunradio.com, and you can contact me for any reason there. Um, and I got a lot of show note type stuff before we get started, so I'll just jump right in. I finished a video just a few minutes ago promoting the Ultimate Apologetics MP3 audio page from Apologetics 315. It is amazing if you've never seen it. Go to the show notes, uh, check it out, or just Google it, Ultimate Apologetics Audio page, something like that, Apologetics 315. There's a link in the video that I did, basically just, it's like hundreds and hundreds of free audios from just top-notch scholars and really interesting stuff about some of the most interesting topics in the world. And it's all for free. It's just Totally amazing. It changed my life. So check it out. Link in the show notes for that. Um, so that video. Then there was uh, also BibleProphecyTalk.com is, is the new Nowhere to Run prophecy show. Sort of a way for me to not talk so much about prophecy on this show and get other things done. And, have an, and I really am excited about that in one sense. I, I hope to make that its own standalone podcast. Like I, I do hope that people find it. T- totally independent of this show or whatever through iTunes or whatnot. So I, I intend to, in one sense, it's an outlet for me to talk about prophecy, and then in another sense, it's um, it's kind of a outreach, I guess, uh, in some way. So then there is a few other things. Twitter. I was going to mention the Twitter account that I have is trying to be the sort of all-encompassing thing, like everything that I do is posted at Twitter, but. It's not working for some reason. All the all the things that I thought I had going there are not working, so shouldn't even put that on the notes, really. So don't subscribe to my Twitter feed. Um, the TV show is done and ready. Just got the time slots in locally. It's not going to really mean anything to you because most of you are not local, but um, it's on at Sunday, 6.30. But it's also on every night at, from 12 to 1. They gave me the every night, late night slot, too, so... Um, that's cool. And I just got a whole bunch of New Testaments in and Gospel of John's that I'm going to do sort of a scripture distribution program as a, as a part of the TV show. I don't know if anybody will actually ask for them or not, but I got a huge box of these. Like It's 50 New Testaments that I got at uh, Biblica.com. And if you're ever interested in getting like cheap Bibles that are high quality and lots of different versions and, uh, you know, really good, cheap stuff, that is that site is really second to none. Uh, I got these New Testaments for something like 80 cents each or something like that, which is really good. The Gospel of John's I got were obviously extremely cheap. I can't remember. I, bought, I paid $10 for however many I got, which was a lot. So, And the final show note thing was in regard to the... PDF, the ebook of of the Mystery Babylon study, something like eighty something pages of that exposition there, and I made it into different formats, EPUB and Mobi and uh, PDF and all that stuff, and and was sort of spreading it around a little bit on different uh, Facebook pages and emailing it to people that I thought might be interested in it. I, I felt like I needed to do that, and so I could kind of wash my hands of it and move on. 
so it's all done. But then Charles Cooper actually, uh, to my surprise, wrote back and and had all these annotations for it, so to of things to fix and things I had wrong. And uh, so, so I'm gonna do another another version of that. But uh, it's basically okay, except the title that I called it, it was even wrong. I made a big deal of calling it the Eschatological City of Jerusalem, and he's like. You can't actually do that because eschatological essentially means the last of, and technically it would be the new Jerusalem would be the the eschatological city of Jerusalem because it is the last Jerusalem. And so uh, anyway, so there's lots of little things, other quotes that I kind of was quoting out of context and some other stuff that he kind of called me out on. But the good news was, you know, it was it was not too bad. So anyway. Um, the I guess that's it. So what I'm going to do is talk about some of the questions that I get over the course of the week. I've got a list just from this week of questions that people have asked me that I know that some of you have questions about. So I'm just going to go start off the list of the uh, on this list, and I don't think we'll get to the end of it, but we can talk about the interesting ones at least. So this first one is the question of well, okay, since aliens, since you think Chris, that aliens are demons, you know, what about the Phoenix Lights, or what about um, the different spacecraft and all that stuff? Does that mean that that's all demonic too, and what's the deal? And to that, I would say that that it seems to me that the spacecraft and stuff kind of falls into one of maybe two or three categories. On the one hand, I would say that there's certainly no problem with um, with lights in the sky being demonic. Um, I think that's even pretty biblical. It says that you know Satan can appear as an angel of light, so don't be surprised if his ministers also appear as ministers of righteousness. I know it's not a perfect um, thing, but I think that at least it's it's something to to point to in the Bible. But I would I would say that uh, this is there's a one video that I did called Five Informed Opinions about the UFO deception in which um, John Todd, who I disagree with on certain issues and stuff, and I could explain why. Maybe I'll put that on the list here. Um, I'll do that one next. Um, with, is, is saying that his sister, who was a high priestess, was summoning uh, what she knew to be demons as a, as, a, as a witch, is what they would call themselves. So she would summon demons in a cornfield, and that was when a lot of the UFO sightings happened in the 70s, according to Todd's testimony. And... That is that resonates uh, with me, and uh, that I've seen the same kind of thing happen in two sort of pop conspiracy culture things. First of all, Prophet Yahweh is a person that I think genuinely does summon things, and uh, I think that it's easy to, you know, summoning stuff doesn't require a whole bunch of, you know, saying the right things and doing blah blah blah. It just means that you need to be willing to to do it, and. So I think that's possibly what's happening to a certain extent with him. I know that there's some question about the weather balloon stuff and blah, blah, blah with him. But another interesting example of that aspect of it, and we'll talk about the Phoenix Lights and stuff in a minute, but the is uh, Jordan Maxwell, actually. Uh, an interesting thing with Jordan Maxwell is that he has this um, story where he was young and this girl um, that he knew for whatever reason, took him home to meet her dad. 
and her dad was a very interesting character to say the least he the his the way jordan tells it is they took him out back to the back porch and his dad did something or other i don't remember how exactly her dad did something or other and all of a sudden these sort of ufo's appeared or i can't remember exactly what he describes exactly but something appeared in the sky and Jordan says that as opposed to looking at the things, both the girl and the guy and the dad were looking at him for his reaction and kind of smiling. So that's his thing, and I would suggest that that's somewhat similar to what I would say is a high priest sounding guy. Um, interesting that kind of kicked Jordan Maxwell on the wrong footing in a way because the the guy also, according to Maxwell's story, gave, gave him a copy of Charles M. Fort which is sort of the, at that early stage, it was kind of like the guy that you would go to to start getting into some of the light-level intrigue stuff that ultimately led Jordan Maxwell to the the occult um, intrigue thing. So, anyway, that's one thing. I think that, that certainly, uh, Lynn Dickey's testimony is another one who, who uh, her testimony is on the YouTube page about Reiki, where when she was heavy into the occult, she would constantly see lights and, in fact, ships and different things. But the lights in the sky and lights and different things, things like that, um, were later, you know, clearly attributed to her by demonic sort of um, visions, I guess you could say. Now, um, the issue of craft and stuff like that, uh, I think that you can explain a lot of that stuff in terms of actual technology that's available, whether it be military technology or paramilitary or whatnot. I mean, um, Stan Deo's testimony and I think is pretty well, you know, believable. I think uh, I've interviewed Stan Deo a long time ago, but uh, not about that necessarily, but his testimony's out there about him uh, working on uh, these craft. And so I don't have any problem with you know, the triangle craft or whatever existing in somebody's hangar somewhere, you know. Um, and to another extent, a sort of third, oh, well, let me just say this. In, the other thing that people would say that, well, these are extraterrestrials is mainly because of the UFO abduction phenomenon because they're telling their abductees that they're from the Pleiades or whatever. That's where the sort of clear-cut information is coming from. And that is what I would say the clearest, uh, most repeatable evidence uh, that it is, in fact, demonic. I mean, the experiences of these people uh, are ending when they're calling out in sincerity to the, to the name of Christ. And then also you have the sort of, uh, there's lots of different things. First of all, you know, people in the middle of experiences calling out, ending up in their bed, the things freaking out, uh, the constant sort of barrage of, that's sort of the the agenda of when you start to when they start to engage people in conversation is like, hey, we came from millions of miles away to make sure you don't believe in Jesus, you know. So it's it's sort of like obvious in one sense, but um, I think the the best evidence for that is that um, they are they are they contain and have all the same characteristics as what commonly is known as. Uh, demonic phenomenon. And in fact, um, I just posted on Facebook a link called, that I often use for people that are, that are wondering about this particular thing. And I just posted on Facebook, it's called great UFO deception quotes. Even Whitley realizes that aliens are demons. 
and they're just great quotes on here. Um, Brad Steiger from the Blue Book Files, uh, released in a Canadian UFO report, Volume 4, says we are dealing with a multidimensional paraphysical phenomenon which is largely indigenous to planet Earth. These are people that mostly want to believe in UFOs. Uh, there's an interesting story here for, uh, from USGPO in 1969. A large part of the available UFO literature is closely linked to mysticism and metaphysical. It deals with subjects like mental telepathy, automatic writing, and invisible entities, as well as phenomena like poltergeists. Many UFO reports now being published in popular press recount alleged incidents that are strikingly similar to demonic possession and psychic phenomena. And when you hear somebody's story, Terrence McKenna was actually some an interesting uh, said something interesting about this. And of course, I don't agree with Terrence McKenna on a lot of things, but he um, he said anybody that reports their UFO experience and it sounds like you know they took them in your craft and um, you know, whatever. It was just all nice and, quote, normal in that sense. You know, it was just there from another planet, took me in the craft. He said, anybody that says that is either lying or not telling you the whole story. Um, and he says that because he says that, that it almost seems as if all these encounters that people are describing are, lo like, almost deliberately telling them that it's more than just that. Like there's all, and I think that's in, kind of dovetails with this saying that if, if people are really telling the truth, there's always some element of it, you know, like it all fizzles away or, you know, they end up back in their bed or, you know, or something that demonstrates that it's more than just that. And, uh, so that was his, his theory hit. Well, his theory was that the UFO phenomenon was some kind of thing to tell us that we all had it wrong about, you know, it was the it was the universe trying to tell us that we were all wrong or something like that. Anyway, so it's a long story, but the so that's one thing. But anyway, the other third kind of aspect to that is that I think that there is possibly technology that exists, um, possibly that has been influenced by demonic uh, intelligence at the high levels of of military or whatever, I think that those people with the resources to build certain things, and Russ Dizder talks a lot about this, have been targeted with, um, you know, and they they might believe that they're in contact with, you know, aliens from another whatever, as long as they will, you know, build or, or whatever, whatever it is that they're telling, to, telling them to. So I, I don't doubt that uh, technology that may be outside of the sort of what we think is you know, at the level that humanity can be, even if it was 10 or 12 years beforehand, uh, as is commonly said, with military technology so far in advance, it would seem like magic or whatever. I, I think there could be something even more like that. I think maybe even the Tower of Babel was like that to some extent, but that's sort of speculation. I don't have anything biblically to back that up. So anyway, so moving on to the next thing on the list, uh, Indigo Children. Um, the person asked me that. I didn't have whole lot to say about that, but uh, the idea of indigo children is very big in the new age. It's the idea that your kid is, it kind of varies, like, is like the next phase in the evolution. You know how, obviously, the new age is the idea of the coming evolution of, of humanity, and it's the kind of idea that there is, this new evolution is happening, and some people would say they're kind of star seed children or something like that sort of the extreme thing but and i don't know too much about the indigo children thing but i'll say this that when i have looked into it clearly i don't think that any of that stuff is true i mean for lots of reasons we'll talk about 
that kind of stuff later on if we get to it. Uh, why I don't think that a coming evolution is coming in the way the New Age thinks of it and all that stuff. But um, if you look at the criteria of what it what it takes to mean your kid is an indigo child, literally every mother would say that about her child. Oh, that's that's exactly what my does your kid you know think more than other kids or you know is your kid you know introspective or whatever that's my kid my kid's introspective you know so and anybody can be an indigo child and then it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy hey hun you're an indigo child you're smarter than all the other childs you know and so then it's the kids turn into monsters you know because they've got this massive chip on their shoulder and um whatever and then are given like all kinds of crazy new age doctrine and all kinds of stuff and uh i think that i think that michael tesarian was told that when he was young i think that he was um early on in his his uh bio or his early bio i don't know if you can find it anymore but he, you know it says he was raised from extremely early age to you know be learning tarot cards and stuff like that and he also in that same bio says that he went and taught indigo children at Berkeley and stuff like that. So I don't know. I can't say that for, for, but I certainly would not doubt that he believes himself to be one, but that's speculation. So move, wait, there was something else I wanted to say about the indigo children. Anyway, moving on. Moses and Akinan. This is something that the idea is that Moses was just, um, Moses was Akhenaten, or Akhenaten was Moses. The idea is that Akhenaten had kind of a form of monotheism, although it wasn't actually monotheism, but most anybody that really knows what they're talking about that's trying to sell this to you will say a form of monotheism because they know it's actually henotheism. But uh, nevertheless, uh, they, they say that, and they come up with all these parallels, right? Kind of like zeitgeist between uh, you know Akhenaten and Moses and the idea actually came from that wonderful Egyptologist, Sigmund Freud. Uh, I, I say that, of course, jokingly because Sigmund Freud was not an Egyptologist at all. He, he wrote a book called Moses and Monotheism in which he proposed this thing. And it has been just debunked all over the place by by predominantly Egyptologists. I mean, they're the ones that are the most viciously against this. And you got to... Understand, Egyptologists don't care about proving the Bible true or or whatever. It's they're more defending that Akhenaten, the, the the truth of Akhenaten. You know, Akhenaten wasn't anything like Moses. I mean, they're they're completely different. Akhenaten was, you know, a very unique and somewhat crazy person. And even his monotheism, the one thing that they're supposed to have in common, is not even close to being in common. The time periods are way off. Moses would have had to been like 150 before he even got to be Akhenaten. And there's just, I mean, the, the way they try to reconcile the dates and everything is just ridiculous. Um, if that's something that you've been thinking about or dealing with, uh, you can email me and we can talk more about it. I could send you some links and stuff like that. But uh, you can be rest assured. Don't be afraid of, of that one. That's uh, it's r- Your best ally in that is going to the Egyptologist talking to them about it. Go to a forum if you've got a specific question that somebody's dealing with and, and talk to um, talk to Egyptologists or write, email Egyptologists and ask them about it. Uh, I, I've got a few links here I could talk about, I guess, on that. Um, 
one guy says, um, if Moses was Akhenaten, he would have had no reason to leave Egypt. Also, Akhenaten reigned towards the end of the 18th dynasty before the Hyksos invasion. I believe Akhenaten spent most of his time building the city of Akhenaten and temples in the honor of Aten. The Hyksos were the uh, were the ones that introduced the Egyptians to the chariot around the time of Ramses, uh, the second's reign. This was approximately 150 uh, to 200 years after the death of Akhenaten. And in the myth of Exodus, it was said that Hebrews left on foot and chariot alike. Um, anyway, so the the talks about all kinds of different stuff here, but. Anyway, like I said, it's this is an Egyptology issue more than anything else, and you know the, where this came from. Freud is definitely not your, not your guy. And another one's kind of like that. The uh, next on the list here is: Did Jesus go to India? I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's like the based on the idea that, um, you know, the Bible doesn't tell you what happened between Jesus at twelve years old and. Jesus at essentially 30 years old at, you know, with John the Baptist. So there's this lost years of Jesus. So a lot of people have taken that to mean, well, what did he do during the lost years? And this theory that he went to India has been uh, promoted recently by, uh, in uh, there's a guy named Nicholas Natovich. This is where it all comes from. He was a Russian aristocrat and a spy and a journalist known for uh, this basically issue. The reason why uh, he's known for this, I'm going to read here a, uh, from a Wikipedia entry. And yes, I know Wikipedia is is not a good source for all this stuff, but you can follow the links. One good thing about Wikipedia is it shows you the source material and you can check out that stuff for yourself. But this is what it says about uh, uh, Nicholas Natovich uh, in regard to this particular issue. It says, uh, Edgar Godspeed describes the debunking of Natovich's claims as a hoax. It says, Natovich's writings were immediately controversial. The German Orientalist Max Mueller, pro uh, professor of Indian philosophy in Oxford, who'd never been to India himself, published a letter he'd received from a British colonial officer, J. Archibald Douglas, which stated that the presence of Natovich in Ladka was, quote, not documented. The head of Hemis community signed a document that denounced Natovich as an outright liar. The story of his visit to Hemis seemed to be taken from H.P. Blavatsky's Isis Unveiled. In the original, the traveler with the broken leg was taken uh, in at Mount Athos in Gre Greece and found the text of Celis's True Doctrine in the monastery library. But in fact, there were found no proof of Natovich that Natovich was in Leia at Hemis. A German dentist residing there had treated him, extracting uh, one of his teeth. There is a written record in his diary, which is shown in the book of Holgren Kirsten. The idea that Jesus was in India was also inspired by a statement in Isis and Vale by Helena Blavatsky that he went on the, to the foothills of the Himalayas. Um, this is next part is a quote from Bart Ehrman. And so he's the guy who wrote Misquoting Jesus. And, and, you know, while he may have a stake in this to some extent, I think it's interesting. Bart Ehrman is a historian for all, for what it's worth. He says this, there, um, today there is not a single recognized scholar on the planet who has any doubts about the matter. The entire story was invented by Natovich, who earned a good deal of money and a substantial amount of notoriety for his hoax. Quick thing, the, the Lost Years and Jesus, you want to know who they are pr uh, promoted by? Um, obviously, Nick, Nicholas Natovich here, but also uh, uh, Levi Dowling, okay? 
And that's the next sort of step, Levi Dowling, uh, you know, the theosophist, the occultist. Um, and that kind of thing doesn't doesn't stop. The next person you see uh, promoting this is Nicholas Roerich, which you may remember the guy like carried around the coffin thing from the Chris Pinto documentaries, you know, lived in the 19, you know, the, the 20s or whatever. The just obvious, like just occultist guy. Elizabeth Clare Prophet from the Ascended Master teachings. And this is like, this is the people that have been on record promoting this. It's, it is, it is not, it's completely folklore and it's totally debunked. Uh, I never talked about John Todd, did I? Um, John Todd is, uh, I think he's genuine in, in what he's saying and everything. But I think that sometimes when people come out of the occult world like he did, I think maybe he came out and started talking about the stuff maybe a little too soon because and I feel like this there's some other people that I won't mention names that I think may have kind of fallen into the same trap basically it's like in the occult world especially like a high level occult situation and any high, any occult stuff at all it the reality of how the world works is always told to you in the way that um, nobody knows it but you, and here's the truth of reality. All the dum dums don't know it, but you do. That's kind of how the the occult world works. It requires it, it, it's it, it's based on pride, you know, for a lot a lot of ways. So, and some of that might be true that it, the stuff that you learn, but I think that a lot of times people that come from the occult have a hard time distinguishing right away those things that they are trying to expose, trying to tell everybody, hey, no, this is the truth about reality. I, t trust me, I just came from this. I learned all this stuff about how the reality really works, and they tell you this thing and that thing. And, you know, some of that stuff just isn't true. It's just that um, that he believes it's true because that's he's trying to tell us what he it thinks he knows is true. But the problem is that the entire occult world is deception. And if you're coming from a hugely, uh, you know, a high-ranking part of that, it's even intensified because now you really know the truth. And now, you know, that's... So I think that's at least in part what's going on with that. Um, okay, moving on. So somebody was asking about the Mark of the Beast. Will, is it going to be a chip? Are we all going to get tricked? You know, there's the idea of like... Well, can I get the chip and, you know, not, you know, sort of, and just sort of with my heart, just to feed my family and all that stuff. And I've promoted in the past the idea that the chip is a, you know, some kind of technology or whatever that does something to you or whatnot. I think I talked about this in the audio for the Age of Deceit video, so I'll try to be brief on this. Basically... Uh, I, I don't see any reason why it has to be any kind of form of technology other than, you know, buying and selling stuff. It could be something you scan to buy or sell, or it could be like you won't sell to anybody that doesn't have the mark. The main thing I w would want to suggest about it is that I don't think that it's going to be like a situation where I, I think that everybody at this point is going to be scrambling to disassociate themselves from what the world will call whatever fundamentalist Christians. I mean, they're going to be so demonized by this point uh, and really truly believe that they are really the problem with the world. 
because they won't, you know, that, that they can't quite, you know, whatever. They're, they're going to believe that they're the problems. Jesus says of it that the world's going to think that they're doing the world a favor when they kill us. You know, kids are going to give up their parents. Parents are going to give up their kids. Brother is going to give up brother. It's describing a mindset of people that really, really don't want to be associated with us. And so that's the point, that people choose to get the mark. I don't think that what the Bible is saying there is, you know, oh, well, you got the mark, sorry, I can't help you. You know, I would have done it, but you got the mark. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think that the people that get the mark are the ones that would not and just are not going to repent. By that point, I think you see calls to repent throughout the book of Revelation, but nobody repenting. That's the, one of the most ex- extreme things. You know, wh- why would there even be calls to repent, yet they are not repenting? Um, w- could it be said that it is, is it possible for somebody to repent that has the mark of the beast? You know, that's a philosophical question that I'm not sure is answered in Scripture. I think that we just are told that those that get it don't. And um, so anyway, I, I think that I think that it's just like, God marks his people, Satan marks his people. If they're Satan's people, he's going to mark them, and those people that get it are going to want to be marked. It's kind of like, you know, you're not, to do what you got to do to get the mark is going to be something that a true Christian can't do. You don't have to worry about it. It's not, it's like, you know, people talk about infiltrating Freemasonry or infiltrating some coven or something. You, You can't, you can't infiltrate a coven as a true Christian because they specifically do rituals that a, that a true Christian cannot do. And uh, and not just good conscience. I don't even know if they could. It's so blatantly, uh, you know, worshiping or, or, or uh, you know, doing rituals like that are, are obviously to any Christian, young Christian even, would be like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. So... So we don't have to worry about, you, you know, you're not going to look, if you're going to bow down and worship the Antichrist because you want to eat, then you've got other, you've got bigger problems than, than that. So anyway, um, moving on to the next one. Um, this goes for every kind of thing. Somebody is David Icke, a Freemason or knowingly an agent. And this goes for all the people that, I've done debunking stuff on, and really, I think a majority of, of those out there, no, I don't think that he is a knowing agent of the Illuminati or anybody else. I think that he is a, just like Maxwell or whatnot, that he is just deceived, that they, he is in contact with beings that he believes to be good. Those beings are using him to promote an agenda that benefits their agenda. He's a tool, a puppet. Uh, that the, the the worst kind of slave is the one that thinks that he's free. And he is f- a slave because he has never questioned the motives of those beings that he thinks are, you know, these guided ascended masters trying to help humanity. And same thing with, uh, with Maxwell. He's never questioned that these Pleiadians that he, that have been quote guiding him his whole life are, are bad. So, that's the problem ultimately is that if you get to the nature of those beings, the supernatural beings that have been telling you what to do your whole life and they have an agenda, then yeah, you, and I kind of describe it sometimes as it's kind of like the movie, the matrix where people uh, that are not unplugged from the matrix are potential agents of the matrix. I don't mean that in the knowing sense, but like, 
You know, it's the same. You could, if you're listening to this and you um, fully buy into the new age stuff and you're out there, you know, got blogs and you're, you know, on a world tour and you're making movies and you're promoting it to people, you are an agent, but not in the sense that people use the word. I think that that it's possible that 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 kind of agent exists, the knowing agent that's trying to set up the new world order. But I think those people are traditionally, at least the ones that I would say are, are theistic Satanists. Those are people that recognize that they're trying to set up the, the government for the Antichrist and stuff like that. But, but there are even people that do that knowingly, not thinking it's the Antichrist. The people that knowingly are doing this are all theistic Satanists, and I don't think that they're united by any other, um, any other way. Okay, moving on to the next one. What about the 26,000-year cycle, shift, new age, consciousness? I've talked about this a lot of times, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, other than to say that um, I posted something recently on um, Facebook about um, something Keith Thompson had done where after he came out with the movie, some people criticized him about the quote that he had from a, a, a guy who was a professor at Chicago, I think. But anyway, he was a professor of astronomy and a history of astronomy, which is an important guy for what uh, what he was quoted for, which was, does the age concept, the coming age, uh, is that something that makes sense, you know, because people say, well, Jesus was talking about the coming age when he says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. He was just talking about the age of Aquarius and, you know, that whole thing. And this guy makes a really potent critique saying essentially that that's impossible because the age concept, the idea that at the vernal equinox, whatever constellation that the sun rises in is the age that we're in is a extremely recent construction of the 19th century and it's i think one of the most amazing ways to debunk the new age in general because it's all based on i mean the new age exists for basically because they tie jesus to the age of pisces erroneously he wasn't a fisherman you know yes he fed people with two fish but he also fed people with more fish and it's and it, you know why not mention the other things? It's a long story. I've talked about that in lots of different videos or whatnot. But they tie Jesus to the age of Pisces erroneously for the purpose of making it so they can go into a new age in which they can get rid of Jesus. You see how that works? In the coming age, it's going to be the Jesusless new age. You know that's ultimately why the new age exists. If you want to get right down to it, so by this particular argument, it's it's the perfect way to debunk every form of the new age i also want to talk really br- briefly and encourage those people out there that may be into some kind of you know somebody's got you blinded by science whether it's rick clay or i don't know he's dead or whatnot but the uh these people that uh quote the twenty-six thousand year procession cycle and i've called this before the quack test and i want you to remember that remember that if somebody says, you know, every 26,000 years there's a cycle that comes by and that's why we're going to blah, 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 fill in the blank. Because, I mean, people will make that 26,000-year cycle dance and do everything and anything new agey or whatever. And so it's what's funny about that is that they've got these, you know, great presentations and all these calculations that you can't understand and neither can I, but they're all based off of 
you know, this 26,000-year precession cycle. The reason it's the quack test is that that the 26,000-year precession cycle, and this is something you should go f- learn about, um, it's the wobble of the Earth on its axis, and it happens every 26,000 years. It, the Earth is not doesn't rotate on its axis in a perfect way. It, it, it also kind of wobbles, and that wobble takes 26,000 years. It's a slow wobble, but... What happens is, is, from the Earth's perspective, is that that means over the course of 26,000 years, the constellations and the stars that we can see, you know, change. So you can kind of use that for mapping time and and stuff like that. I mean, you can say, well, this every 26,000 years, you know, this, you could map it for time purposes or whatnot. But the point I'm trying to make here is that even if you understood Everything there was to know about precession. I mean, you were like the world's authority on the 26,000-year precession cycle. Nobody knew more than you. You could never tell where the Earth was in relation to the center of the galaxy, anywhere in the universe, close to... You can't tell where the Earth is in in the world or in the universe because it doesn't do that, you know? It, the Earth is still going around the sun, and you know the, everything else is happening as it normally does. It, you're not actually becoming in, in tune with the center of the galaxy as a result of the 26,000-year precession cycle. Nor, as many people teach, are, are the, is the 26,000-year precession cycle bringing you in line to the Alcyon star system? And how ridiculous is that? If you understand precession, you're like... Um, Every 26,000 years, we're not going into the Alcyon system. I mean, that has nothing to do with that. So there's a million and one things out there that people are calculating and, you know, it looks really brilliant. And, wow, that guy's the smartest guy in the world, like this Nasir, whatever his name is. I never. Anyway, that guy it, it is the whole point of it. It, it, it. They're wasted their lives at best um, because that's such nonsensical garbage. And it is indeed the quack test. Okay, um, let's see. We're dealing with 38 minutes. Somebody asked about, and this is something that comes up quite a lot, what if somebody is dealing with, um, you know, demonic stuff in their life? I've talked a lot about, you know, what happens if you open doors and sort of signs that it, it, you know, you're dealing with stuff. Maybe you're experiencing sleep paralysis, even as a Christian, or maybe you have whatever issues that doors you may have opened in the past or, or whatever that you're dealing with demonic stuff in a light level or a heavy level. So I'm just going to give you a brief overview of how this works. And if maybe this doesn't apply to you, you can use this knowledge for, um, for future reference to somebody that does um, need it. Because I can tell you, we are in Generation Hex here. Everybody is getting, you know, seduced by the occult more and more. And the occult seduction is getting harder and harder core. So people are really opening big doors really quickly. So um, I kind of look at the opening of doors in your life, what through like occult stuff and whatnot, Um as kind of like giving away shares to a company like you own you are a corporation and you're getting tricked by um the devil basically to to give him shares they do that through lots of various ways 
you know, you think you are, you know, trying to contact, you know, your dead relatives with tarot cards or whatever, and they might be throwing you a bone. You may be doing this thing and that thing. Maybe not anything that deep. I don't want to make people think this just has to do with hardcore occult, but it's an easy, it's an easy way to describe it. So basically, you're doing the, these kind of things, which are, just to put it in visual terms, it's kind of making you porous, like Swiss cheese. You're kind of creating holes in this veil that naturally protects you from demonic stuff. Really small holes, you know, at first. But then once a little bit of that, once they have a little bit of access, access they use that to to get you to do more. They want, ultimately, although this is rare, but it, but if they had it their way, they would get you to open up so much that they could usually use you like the guy in Mark chapter five, who, when Jesus asked the name of the demon, it says, we are legion for we are many. Ultimately, they don't, they want to get into bodies. Demons do not have bodies and they desperately seek them. Jesus says the alternative for them is dry places. This is also a good argument uh, for why people often ask, what about uh, good, you say there's bad demons and stuff, aren't there good angels and stuff like that? Because, of course, all these demons are pretending to be good to all the people, uh, you know, calling themselves all kinds of stuff. And the answer to that is, yeah, there are good angels, but an angel of God, does. first of all, it doesn't need your body. Uh, it doesn't need to talk through you. It doesn't need to do anything like that because it has its own body. It can appear as an actual body. The Bible says, know you not that you've entertained angels unaware. You've you probably, you know, angels can show up and hand you a, an envelope of cash if, if need be. The other side to that is that they don't really seem to care all that much about the jobs that they're sent to do. I mean, if an angel shows up, it's going to be because God sent them. They are messengers from God. They're in right standing with God. God says, go, they go. They don't listen to you when you channel them or ask for your guardian angel or do a ritual to have an angel show up. They're they're not going to pay attention to that. They're in right standing with God. And so you may get a being that says they're an angel uh, that shows up, but uh, it won't be a good one. So anyway, so what do you do if you've opened up these doors um, and you've given away your shares, as it were? You, they've tricked you over and over again to doing more stuff. Maybe it's drugs and stuff too, or, or whatever. And it's getting more severe, the ability that they have to mess with you. And if you're at all wondering about those kinds of things that open doors, like if you're, well, I wonder what things I may have done. A good thing to do is go to a website that I run called sleepsurvey.org. On sleepsurvey.org, you don't necessarily even have to fill out the form. It's just a good tool of things that we have found in dealing with people that uh, are often the the things that open up doors the most. Um, the and there's a huge list of those particular things if you have if you're wondering what what they might be. An interesting side note is that um, of the probably now four or five hundred entries we've had in that. Um, I'd say 99%, and I, I know people throw that around, but I, I'd say even probably higher than that, but I'm just I'm being careful here, of the people that have said that they've been experiencing some kind of supernatural thing that is negative, 
since they were as long as they could remember or since you know they might say them the first experience was at five or something like that whenever they say it's been at an age what i would consider before they have the ability to do anything like that themselves to open up such a big door every time somebody checks the yes i've had that happen since this age or before then they will also check another box that says my parents or grandparents were involved in the occult or another box that says my parents and grandparents were involved in Freemasonry or some other kind of, uh, you know, uh, fraternal organization in high levels. Or I don't know uh, what my parents or grandparents were in and that they either were adopted or for whatever reason, you know, secretive parent situation or whatnot. So that's a, a constant thing. Um I think that works in a few different ways. For whatever reason, it seems like, you know, in Freemasonry and stuff like that, grandparents, parents have authority over their kids and they can give it away. They can actually give it away. And again, that's, that's what it, it's all about the shares analogy. You know, um, you, you can give not only your shares away, but you can give your kids shares away. And that's why we have to be careful. We need to be praying for our kids and stuff too. But anyway, I know I'm, the generational thing is something that, a lot of people have a lot of concerns about and stuff like that. And I would say I share your concerns, but I would say it's also experientially something that I have to, I have to deal with. Some people's only issue is, is that, and sometimes it can be pretty severe. Maybe they could be experiencing high levels of attack from demonic stuff and they are, that's the only thing that's happened. The good news is that it can be stopped. It can be ended. And those shares, unfortunately, cannot be taken back by you and kept by you. That's not how it works. If you've given away the shares, that or somebody's given them away, um, you need to. You can take them from Satan, but you can't keep them. You can only take them from him if you plan on giving them to Jesus. That you give them your ownership of you from somebody that wants to kill and destroy you and you take that ownership and that shares and you give it to somebody that loves you and that knows everything and loves you still and wants to help you not just close these doors and grow but be full of joy and compassion and peace. He wants to change your heart from the inside out too. Now if you're already saved, this analogy still applies. I kind of look at that to the degree in which you know you 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 give that obedience and how do you do that you truly think of it like that like ownership look you are my lord when you say lord that means you're lord lord i mean you, you say you've got a yoke and it's easy and light but it's a yoke so put the yoke on and you know follow after him uh like i've said you know recently um from that chris vanover testimony that that uh he said you know when pilot said i find no fault in this man and chris said i find no fault in, in him either i don't know why i should not follow him and i would suggest that that is where we're all at if we truly discover who he is so now what you can do in is to begin to close these doors is begin to pray first of all it's all about a one-on-one dialogue with the lord you you begin to pray uh and ask him to help close the doors if it's generational issues then ask him to close those doors you know if there's any kind of stuff that you've done or you know renounce everything this is we 
say it all the time, renounce it, just say, Lord, I don't want any of that stuff. I'm, you know, sorry about all this stuff. Just, just let me start anew with all this stuff and, and be consistently in prayer with it. In addition, um, you have to, depending on what level, but every level has to, you have to also go on the offensive. You have to make your name, um, renowned in hell. They need to be scared to be sent to you. That's the that's the position that you need to take. You can't be mousy. You've got with with demonic stuff before you go to bed um, every night. I would pray specifically against demonic stuff. In Jesus's name, protect me from any evil, Lord. If there is any demons at all sent or anything, I pray that they would be that you would see it fit to send them to the abyss. They hate going to the abyss. That's that's something in Mark five. The reason why they beg Jesus to send them in pigs instead of going to the abyss. I think it's kind of like game over for them. And if you are in the business of sending assigned demons to the abyss, then that really helps get your. Uh, um, you're renowned, you're the, the, in hell, Starting your name starts to go up on the list of people that they don't really want to get sent to. So, so get serious about it, you know, and it's just, it's just, if you're not saved and you're, for various reasons, you know, you're, you know, whatever, I would say that this also applies to you to an extent. While Jesus has given every Christian authority over demonic stuff, um, at the same time, and they, they can get this stuff to end for good in almost every case, except for sometimes really severe cases, and that's a whole other issue. I think it's, we could talk about that some other time, but the people that are not um, saved can still call out in sincerity to Jesus for help during attacks, um, and he will help you. You know, you can't be commanding the demons around to do stuff and go places. They're not going to listen to you, but they will uh, listen to Jesus. And so if you just ask him for help during those times, he will help you. And and hopefully that will start to get you thinking, okay, these demons that I've been dealing with my whole life uh, are scared of Jesus. And so that's significant. And hopefully that'll get you thinking in the right direction. It's the way it has traditionally worked. Um, But... But so I would say it's three pronged. It's one, it's, it's staying in prayer about whatever doors that were opened, whether it was generational, whether it was you open it for the occult stuff or drug stuff or, uh, whatever stuff. You stay in prayer with closing those doors. Get rid of stuff, you know, that if you have occult stuff, don't keep occult books and stuff. The book of Acts talks about people burning their occult books and the price of them was like 15,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. That, I mean, consider that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. So 15,000 pieces of silver worth of occult books was, was a pretty uh, serious amount of, uh, of occult books. But they did it willingly. And I'm not saying that that has any power. I mean, it could, you know, or anything. I'm just saying it's a good heart level thing to do. It kind of shows the kind of repentance and turning from that. It's kind of an outward expression of it. You know, if you're taking a trash bag full of dungeons and dragons and all the, you know, whatever, Ouija boards and stuff like that, and you're just tossing them in the dumpster, that's kind of a picture of what it's like and what you're supposed to be like, turning from that stuff for real, you know? Uh, just, you know, it's not, it's like the, I mentioned before, the children of Israel, you know, when they needed to, when they were go, told to go take the land, they were supposed to really solidify that that conquering, you know, they were supposed to take care of all the enemies, but they didn't do it. And it came back to get them in the end because they didn't, they didn't deal with it all. So, so that's a good thing to do. But the other thing, 
besides prayer is uh, well, it's all pretty much prayer. The other thing is prayer before bed. If 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 this is dealing with a sleep kind of issue, sleep paralysis or night attacks or something like that. Uh, and then also during the attack, you need to be bold. And I know sometimes that you know you can't talk or whatever. They'll they'll make it hard to talk or whatever. But ask the Lord to give you the use of your mouth. Also, um, you know you you don't have you can cry out in your mind and do basically the same thing. So, um, so yeah, that's what I would say and what generally I say to people that of all levels. And I and and I would go into some more detail in different you know specific situations, but. Everybody from, well, if somebody's super, super possessed kind of thing, then uh, that's a whole other story, but that's more rare. And there's another audio that's on my website for new Christians called, uh, that's from Rust is Dark called uh, How to Get Yourself Free from Dark Spirits. Uh, kind of an auto-deliverance kind of thing from Rust. Um, but also, I also sometimes recommend that if somebody is, really possessed and they they know it or you know somebody that actually is really possessed then then you need to have somebody uh pray for them you don't need to call some you know holy roller with some holy water you just you just need to find a real christian who um knows and believes in the power of christ and to pray over the person sometimes it's good i recommend and have recommended many times in the past for people to call up their local calvary chapel and just explain the situation and say hey you know i think i might be dealing with some you know demonic stuff and oppression and stuff and i was just wondering if it was okay if i could schedule time to come in and you guys could pray for me uh they'll say okay yeah sure and the reason i say that it at calvary chapel is because they they at least believe in it and they uh they believe in the you know that it exists you know so you go to call to a certain baptist church and they'd be like well you know, demons don't exist, so that's obviously you need some medicine or whatever. So, and anyway, and I don't want to over demonize stuff. That's always the the thing that somebody says after all this stuff. It's like, you know, there's a danger of every demons being behind every corner and everything. Yes, I understand all that stuff, and I think that uh, that I'm dealing with this a little more as soberly as possible. Um, in that, I don't see demons behind everything, but I see or try to see them when they really are there. I don't think, certainly there's lots of conditions and lots of depressions that are not demonic and that are, uh, and, and, you know, medication is the best thing. I certainly think that, uh, that there are genuine stuff like that. So I don't want anybody to think that. So running out of time here, getting right at about an hour. So I just want to remind people here about the Apologetics 315 site there, uh, BibleProphecyTalk.com, new show. The TV show is out. And I uh, talked about the cheap Bibles and the new PDF for the and ebook formats for the Mystery Babylon thing. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions or whatnot, don't hesitate to write. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.